0: Elton John wrote Candle in the Wind for Lady Diana. Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters wrote My Hero for Kurt Cobain. McCartney penned Hey Jude for John Lennon's little boy Julian to comfort him in the wake of his parents' separation. Don McLean was absolutely amazed, he said, to discover that the song Killing Me Softly with his song was originally written about him. Killing Me Softly uh, didn't just resonate with one or two, but has been Uh, recorded by a number of artists since it was first written back in the 70s. In fact, it even won the Fugees a Grammy 25 years later in 1997. Of course, not all songs written with a specific person in mind or in dedication are the kind you would want written about you. Carly Simon's classic, You're So Vain, has generated a lot of speculation. But who would want that song really to be dedicated to them? The person it's about, I guess. Taylor Swift became famous for writing scathing lyrics with particular targets in mind. There are whole webpages dedicated to helping you know which song is directed at which person, from her freshman year boyfriend to international superstar John Mayer. Did you know that in the book of Psalms, there are three songs specifically dedicated to someone, a real person? Many of the Psalms, of course, give us information about who wrote them, what instrument it was intended for, even the melody in some cases— or what occasion inspired the writing. But out of the 150 psalms, there are three which were written with a particular person in mind, a particular person they were dedicated to. And all three were written with the same person in mind, a man named Jejithin. He's not a particularly famous Bible character, which really makes it all the more significant that the only psalms dedicated and directed to a specific individual are sent to him. We learn in First Chronicles 16 that he was a member of King David's grand administration. He was one of three Levites given charge over the worship in the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple. He and his sons were to be the gatekeepers in the Lord's house. He was charged with giving thanks and praise to the Lord. He was to be prophesying with harps and strings to instruments and with training others to continue this work. We're told that he was free from other duties and was to be employed in his spiritual work day and night. Pretty amazing job description for a guy that most of us really haven't heard of before. And what a time to have been alive and walking with the Lord, watching David, the great king, establish his throne and to see the blessing of God and the nation of Israel like never before, to have been in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah glory of God. So what are the three songs dedicated to such an interesting man about? The three psalms are this, Psalm 39, 62, and 77. One of them is a funeral song about the vanity of life. One of them is about enduring opposition and the attacks in your life. And that that life, by the way, is only a vapor. And one of them is about what we do when the day of trouble comes and our souls refuse to be comforted. Yikes. (laughs) David, you wrote some pretty good songs. These are the three you're sending me? Okay. You see, Jejuthin also lived through the turbulent years when David hadn't been enthroned over all Israel yet. He lived through the scandal of Bathsheba, the shock of Absalom's rebellion, perhaps even the desperate horror of the plague, which struck down 70,000 Israelites after David took his ungodly census. You know, we don't know much about Jejuthin as an individual, what he thought his personal story But we know that three songs were given to him, dedicated to him for his comfort and for him to use in his spiritual duty in the house of the Lord. He was not only uh, to treasure these songs, but then to teach them to the choir of Israel, who would then deliver them to all Israel for use in worship. And ultimately, these three songs dedicated to him have been saved for us that we might sing them in our own lives. You know we're told the Lord gives us songs to sing uh, the Lord is incredibly personal and incredibly musical of course and he gives his people songs to sing Job thirty-five, ten says God gives us songs in the night Psalm 40 verse 3 says the Lord has put a new song in our mouths in Revelation 14 we read about how the 144,000 are taught a special song only they can learn And so what we find in the Bible is that God gives us songs and plays a melody through our lives There is a spiritual soundtrack being played uh, in the background of your life, in the foreground of your life. This morning, we get to see one of those songs given to us that declares that God is our refuge no matter what, no matter when. And that's a song we all need to hear and sing, especially in times like this. Verse 1 says this, For the choir director, according to Jejithin, a Davidic psalm, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. David does something obvious in the Hebrew that is lost to us reading in English, and scholars can help clue us in on it. The word that we will see in the text as alone or only, it's the same word in Hebrew over and over again. It's used six times in these verses. And each time it's used, it's purposefully put at the beginning of the line. And so if you were a Hebrew scholar, if you're a Hebrew reading this poem, it would be a very uh, significant device that was used. You would notice a, a very plain and very purposeful emphasis. If we tried to bring it into English, it would be something like this. Only in God, my soul finds rest. Only he is my rock. Only in him find rest, my soul. Six times. In fact, for a long time, this psalm was referred to by commentators as the only psalm because the word pops up so often and so prominently. Here in verses 1 and 2, David is reminding his friend, Jejithin, of what is absolutely true. Now we don't know what the specific timing of this song was. Uh, We don't know whether it was a time of triumph or a time of tragedy. But the truth remains the same no matter what day of the year, no matter what set of circumstances are. And David's desire was for Jejithin to internalize this song and then lead the nation in singing it together. Now, to rest here doesn't mean to slumber. It never does in uh, the spiritual sense. The Lord never wants us to slumber in our walk with him or in our devotion to him. But to rest in the Lord means to wait in calm quietness before our God. Our faith is meant to be defined by peace and joyfulness and restful repose as we contemplate the great strength of our God and the access he has given us to his saving power. God alone and God only. And this emphasis on God alone reminds us that he is the one subject of our worship. He is the one original cause of all of our lives. He is the one ruler over heaven and earth. David, the peerless king, the giant slayer, declares with clear certainty that there is one place where we can find the help for our deepest of needs, and that is in God alone, God only. And it's important for us to note and to remember and to remind ourselves that this kind of spiritual rest is not just an optional upgrade for some people. It's not the spiritual equivalent of granite countertops that, well, I believe in the Lord, but only really certain Christians are able to upgrade into that uh, spiritual rest that we see David talking about here. In fact, we, all of us, are commanded to enter into this kind of rest. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. In fact, the translators of the Septuagint version of this psalm render the opening this way, will not my soul be obedient to God? And so for many of the ancient translators, Being at rest was the equivalent of being in obedience to God. We should and we must be at rest because he is our salvation, our Yeshua. That's the word there. Of course, we recognize our Lord written right there on the page for us. Jesus Christ is our salvation. And I think that's an important point. The act of deliverance is needful and it's helpful and we want that. But it's Jesus himself who is our salvation. It's a person. It is that individual whom we are able to knit our souls to. He is our salvation. Jesus, our salvation, is also called here our rock. This image not only conveys strength and security, but brings us back to those stories in the wilderness wanderings of Israel, where a great rock followed after the congregation to supply them with abundant, overflowing, life-saving Water struck once at the cross, but now only we have to speak to him, and he supplies all of that living water to flow in us and through us. And that rock was Christ, the New Testament tells us. David's declaration that he and Jejuthin and all of us, by extension, would never be shaken in verse 2, should be explained. It's not that we will never experience turbulence in life. I don't know if you've ever been on a flight that's had some actual real turbulence. It's not very, it's exciting, but it's not very fun, that's for sure. And that's not what's being said. It's not saying that we will never experience turbulence in life. That's obviously not true. Jesus says so. We know it to be true in our personal lives, but Jesus said, of course, you're gonna experience trial and tribulation in your life. But David could say with confidence that we will never be shaken too greatly. Your translation may even have those two words added to the end of the phrase. We will never be shaken so much that it causes us to topple and fall. This was being said by a man whose life was often hanging in the balance, by the way, whether he was running for his life from Saul or his son Absalom, whether he was crossing swords with fierce enemies, enduring plots from within his own palace to overthrow him. David was, from one perspective, never very far from death. And yet he knew that he was safe in his savior. His statement sounds almost too good to be true, but the man speaking to us here is worth listening to. And of course, we know he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that of course is enough for us to to listen and to believe. But as we consider who's writing these words, these words of confidence and security in the Lord, who's writing them? Someone who knew what he was talking about. This is a man who knew what it was to lay his life on the altar of heaven. This was a man who knew health, who knew sickness, he knew danger, he knew success, he knew glory, he knew defeat, he knew desperation, he knew how to fortify, he knew how to flee. And most of all, this was a man who knew God. And this man, with all of his power and all of his resources and all of his courage, He was content in this psalm to forego all of that and instead cling to a patient, passionate trust in his Lord. The quiet is then interrupted by verse three. It says, how long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering stone fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. It's a good thing that David's God is a God of strength and security. Because when David looked at his own life, he saw a rotten fence about to be knocked down by killers and liars and enemies, some of whom who had uh, pretended to be his friends, probably individuals who were serving in his court at the time. David, for all of his strength, was feeling pretty weak when he looked at his life. He compared himself to a stone wall about to crumble. Until really recently, I had a, I had a fence like that uh, on the one side of my house you know, it, when it, it was a million years old and it didn't, it wasn't set in concrete or the post or anything. It was just in the dirt for all of those years. And uh, as each rain came, you know, we get that one rain per year. And so year after year, it would get kind of soggy and wet. And so it just kept leaning, 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 leaning. Every time we got a little bit of breeze, a picket would fall over and then another one and another one. If I would try to pick the pickets back up and put them back on, they would just split apart. Uh, The thing was just completely destroyed. And David said, that's what my life's like right now. And people are surrounding me to come and, and help knock over the rest of it. David's situation was tenuous, but there are several important takeaways here. The first is that, at least in this psalm, David wasn't too worried about it. Notice there isn't actually any request to God anywhere in this song. In fact, David's not even referring to himself in this section. He's clearly talking about himself, but he's not even really referring to himself. He doesn't say, I'm like a stone wall. He doesn't say, why are you attacking me? He's clearly talking about his own experience and his own life and his own situation. But he says, I wonder how long these wicked people are going to do their wickedness and attack a person. It's very interesting. Uh, He's not all of that concerned about it. He's speaking almost abstractly. The second thing we notice here is that we are reminded that we have an adversary, the devil, and we see his goal. His goal is to destroy you. His goal is to destroy your peace and your witness, to knock you down, to try to sift you away from closeness to God. He wants to bring you down from the high position that the Lord has placed you in. But that reminds us of a third thing, and that's that the Lord has, in fact, placed us in a firm and high position so that many might see what he has done for us and find salvation themselves. God is the lifter of our heads and his desire is to set us on our feet that we might stand firm in him, even in the face of trial or adversity. Perhaps we will be under assault for the rest of our days until we are brought home into heaven. But thanks be to God, we can be sure of our hope and our help in Christ Jesus, our rock. This song, which started with such a dramatic crescendo of assurance, has suddenly turned to a dark and minor key here in these verses. On the one hand, David saw himself as firmly fortified in his stronghold. On the other hand, we see the troubles surrounding him closing in, about to deal that final blow, which will put him down once and for all. Now, seeing that situation, what is a person to do? What did David do? Well, we continue in verse five. It says, rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken My salvation and glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. And so David repeats what he said before, but this time it's not just in the form of a statement. It's in the form of a sermon to himself. You know, you look at the opening verses and then he's boasting about the Lord and how great the Lord is and what is true about God. Now, as he faces the valley of the shadow of death, he preaches to his own heart what he already knows to be true. And knowing what he knows to be true, he tells his soul to obey it, to believe it, to dig into his faith in the Lord and to preach to himself that which what he already knows to be true. You know, our souls need preaching like our bodies need nutrition. One meal won't do it. Uh, once you're born, you don't get that one meal and then say, OK, I'm good until I'm until I'm, you know, maybe in a few years, I'll get another meal here. Uh, or maybe at the end of my life, I'll, I'll dig back in and get some food. We need regular nutrition, of course. And our hearts must be continually reminded of what is true about our God and his plan for our life. So Lord knows this is why he commanded us in the New Testament. Think about what is true. Uh, he doesn't say that because we naturally will. He says that because we need to be reminded. The Lord comes to us and says, okay, you who are God's people, you who are walking with the Lord, who love the Lord, who are loved by God, remember this, think about what is true. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so we need that reminder. Uh, And David was showing Jejeth and his friend how to cast his lifeline onto the rock and secure himself there. And we can expect God to fulfill his promises to us. We can expect God to be our shield and our provider. He who knows everything we need will be the source of our supply. Now, when and how the Lord will work to address our needs or to help us or to swoop in, that remains a mystery, of course. But God's word promises again and again that he will help us, he will be with us, he will not leave us or forsake us. And that is a message we need to preach to ourselves every single day. And it's great news what David says here, that our salvation and our glory do not depend on movable things, things like human governments, things like economic markets. Instead, our salvation and our glory depend on the unchangeable nature and power of God, our father. That is very good news. Verse eight says, trust in him at all times. You people pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. What David had discovered to be true, he wants to share with others. He invites his friends and his nation and any hearer throughout history to join him on the rock. Everybody uh, argues over whether both the characters at the end of Titanic could have fit on the raft, right? Uh, and, and they say, I think it was even referenced at the last Oscars. I didn't watch the Oscars, but I heard it, it was still being referenced that they both could have fit on the raft and Leonardo DiCaprio could have survived. Uh, David doesn't think that the rock is only, you know, uh, it's not a safe room for one person. Uh, It's not a panic room that only fits, you know, one guy and a guest. He invites all of us right on top. He says, yeah, there is room for plenty more. Come on up and, and secure yourself with me. And as we join David in the stronghold, we find it's not just some impersonal citadel. It's not just stone walls. This refuge is a person to whom we're told we can pour out our hearts. What a lovely invitation. You know, financial security is an important issue to most people. Those who are able spend a lot of time and resources and effort to store up for retirement, right? You may open your bank account to your IRA, but you don't open your heart to it. Do you? I don't think uh, the fine folks at Fidelity are set up to hear about your inner hurts and your fears and your deepest needs. They're going to, you know, probably be polite, but say, yeah, I I just need to know what mutual funds you want to buy. You know, we don't pour out our hearts to them, but the Lord is set up to hear all of those things and not just willing to hear them. He wants to hear them. He doesn't want us to be shy about pouring out our hearts to him. Cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. Come to Jesus, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and he will give you rest. The God of the Bible was not just a father and a friend to David, but to Jejethon as well, to all Israel on top of that, and to each of us who have been saved by his grace. Because of that, we can trust him at all times, choosing to be confident in him, and to believe that all he has said is true. Trusting in him at all times, you people, it says, president got in a little trouble uh, recently for saying you people at a press conference to a reporter. Uh, But this message from heaven through David to Jejithin and to us says, you people. So who are you? You children of God, remember he is our father. You flock of sheep, remember the Lord is our shepherd. You members of the Lord's army, remember he is our commander. You citizens of heaven, remember Christ is our king. You bride of Christ, remember he is the bridegroom. And remember that you are a people, meaning that we are not in this life alone. We don't struggle alone. We don't walk alone. We walk with others together on this road of faith, bearing one another's burdens and building each other up, especially in times of difficulty. And so if you are weak or afraid or confused, don't be afraid to pour out your heart to the lover of your souls. Don't be afraid to go to him and cast your cares upon him and allow him to use those around you to help build you up and carry your burdens with you. Verse nine says, men are only a vapor, exalted men an illusion. Wait in the scales, they go up. Together, they are less than a vapor. Place, place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If Wealth increases, pay no attention to it. David's desire was not only to comfort believers, but to send an urgent caution to unbelievers. Those very enemies who were seeking to destroy him, he preaches to them here. Reminds everyone that life is short. It's just a puff of smoke and then it's gone. In the end, it doesn't matter how much wealth or earthly power a person has, and I can prove it. I'll ask you this. Who was the king of Spain in 1830? I doubt anybody listening right now has any idea. Well, his name was Ferdinand VII. They called him Ferdinand the Desired. When I think of the name Ferdinand, I think of that bull in the children's story who just liked to sit and and smell the flowers very quietly but to us, Ferdinand Seventh, he's not even a memory, right? For all of his power and all of his wealth and all of his fancy robes and his crown and, you know, the subjugation of people and all of that, he's not even a memory to us. Completely forgotten. His kingdom is gone. He's got nothing left. Our lives, when weighed on the scales of heaven, are just a wisp of vapor. That's just the truth of the matter. May they be a puff of incense which honors God and pleases him on the altar of heaven. A life lived in worship and sacrifice. If not, if a person will not lay hold of the salvation offered by God and find refuge in Jesus Christ, then they're going to be like Belshazzar in the book of Daniel. Written on the wall that night was the message that he had been weighed and measured and found wanting. And that very night he was judged, condemned for his refusal to repent, turn to God, lost for all eternity. For believers today, David gives another sobering instruction. He says, we're not to set the watch of our lives by the status of our bank accounts. In fact, commentators will point out, he says, you know, if your wealth increases, be careful. Because in one sense, it's the same as robbery and oppression. You say, hey, wait a minute. I worked hard. You know, I'm storing that up. And he says, yeah, that's, that's all fine. But don't trust in it. To trust in even well-earned wealth is the same, uh, as far as David was concerned in this psalm, as trusting in stolen, robbed money. It's unreliable. It's uh, not what we are to set the watch of our lives to. Now, it's hard not to fall into this pattern of thinking, right? We see the news, the economy is up, so things must be good. The economy is down, so things must be going bad. That's not how God assesses our lives. In fact, we're warned that the lure of wealth and crowd out the production of spiritual fruit. We're told that too much attention to these material things leads to some wandering in the faith. Told that in 1 Timothy 6. Rather, the New Testament gives us the proper perspective on wealth as Christians. 1 Timothy six seventeen says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now our song closes in verse 11 and 12. It says, God has spoken once. I've heard this twice. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Commentators point out the wonderful beauty of God being both full of strength and full of mercy. If he had not mercy, we would all be doomed. If he had not strength, we could not be saved. But he is indeed the God of limitless power and the God of unfailing love, the God of strength and of mercy. And this God, we are told, will repay the people of earth. You sinner who have not received salvation, if you have not been born again, you will be paid for what you have done. And the Bible explains that the wages for your sin is death. You who are saved listening this morning, you who work in our Lord's service, you will be richly rewarded. Maybe not in this life, but he promises that in serving the Lord, you are soaring up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth cannot destroy and thief cannot steal. For nearly 150 years, God's church has been singing that wonderful refrain from Blessed Assurance. This is my story. This is my song. And that great hymn is all about finding rest in God alone and trusting in his strength to save. You can tell everybody that Psalm 62 is your song. Like Blessed Assurance, it is full of hope and truth. It's not blind to the difficulties of life, but it puts them in proper perspective. As David encouraged Jejethin, we should sing it to ourselves, especially in times of strain or when we're feeling weak. Our lives can be like musicals where everybody's going along normally and then something happens and people decide, well, let's start singing. I mean, we all accept that when we're watching a musical, but it's kind of silly, right? People are just walking around and then all of a sudden they, they have a thing they need to solve and so they start singing. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Let's sing about it for a while. <laughs> or they're going along and some things are happening. They start singing, be prepared. We've got to prepare for war, right? Or they're going along and they decide to sing, everything is awesome. Uh, or then later, everything's not awesome if you haven't seen Lego Movie 2. But it's, it's interesting. Now, on the spiritual level, God kind of wants our lives to be a musical. What, what does the New Testament tell us? That we should uh, interact with one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. He gives us songs to sing in the night, songs to sing in times of difficulty, songs of praise, songs when we gather together as the church. And this is a song that God invites us to sing to ourselves, to remind us of what is true and to proclaim to the lost and dying world of what is true about the Lord. God only and God alone, our refuge and our fortress, our ever-present help in time of trouble. It's amazing to see David's calm confidence. And that's good for us to see too, by the way, because it proves to us that such a state of spiritual rest is possible. But we shouldn't, you know, feel downcast about it. If you feel anxious or worried or confused today. Don't, don't feel down like, well, I'm not as spiritual as David. Yeah, I don't think any of us are as spiritual as David, but don't be downcast about it. We're also reminded that David didn't always feel this way. The same man who wrote this Psalm felt, is the one who said he felt God had abandoned him in Psalm 22. The same songwriter who said in Psalm 142 that he was crying in anguish to the Lord, weak in spirit, pleading for mercy. God, where are you? And so uh, the Psalms give us the wide range of spiritual emotions, and that's a good thing. But here, what do we see? We see David at rest, calm, peace, and security, confident in the Lord. And that is a good thing for us to see because we see it is possible that God does give his people peace. He does give us rest. We can't always lay hold of it perfectly, but we know that it is possible as we cast our cares upon the Lord. David was no stranger to danger. He knew what it was to be afraid to be pressed in upon, to be close to a breaking point. But the man after God's own heart thought about his friend, Jejethin and wrote this song in dedication to him. And through Jejethin and Israel, it is given to us as a gift that we might remember and sing of God's unfailing love His boundless strength and that he has made himself a refuge to us where we can find rest, hope, help, and all that we need. Let's pray.